Welcome to this podcast of the Grazia Dio Business Review. This is Audra Quinn, Managing Editor of the GBR, and I'm here today with Alexa Koenig, a civil and human rights attorney and a PhD candidate in jurisprudence and social policy at the University of California, Berkeley. Thanks for coming and joining us today, Alexa. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Sure. So along with David Scalise and Brandon Carr, Alexa is the co-author of an article entitled Secondary Meaning in Trademark and Trade Dress Law, What It Is and What You Need to Know. This article details the doctrine of secondary meaning and its ramifications for businesses, and it can be found in Volume 14, Issue 2 of the Grazi Dio Business Review, which you can find online at gbr.pepperdine.edu. So Alexa, let's just kind of start with the basics. For those not familiar with secondary meaning, can you kind of explain what that is? Sure. Secondary meaning is a phenomenon that relates to trademark law. So basically, when you name or design a logo for a company, when you come up with an image or a name that you really want to use as a trademark, it's important to come up with something that clearly indicates to the public the source of the goods and services that you're marketing. The whole purpose of a trademark is to make that connection between a source and product for the relevant buying public. That means that you need to come up with a trade name or even trade dress, which is essentially the look or design of a product or place that's unambiguous. So that clearly indicates that you are the provider or manufacturer of that good or service and not somebody else using the same or a similar name or logo. Some trade names are unambiguous from the get-go. So for example, Xerox was a made-up word that was really only ever affiliated with one company. So when consumers Mm -hmm. saw the Xerox name or Xerox brand, they knew who they were dealing with. The law likes that and protects such trademarks automatically because they don't confuse the public. Same thing with Apple. While Apple is a word that already existed before the computer company, it had never really before been linked to computers, and therefore it was unique to that particular industry and was Mm -hmm. automatically protected. But when secondary meaning becomes important is when you use a term that could potentially be confusing because it's descriptive of a product or service, meaning it seems like a great term because it so perfectly describes your goods or services, but the problem is that the term might be so closely linked that others in your industry might use something similar. Um, A really good example of this one is the term park and fly. There are a lot of companies that might want to use that term to describe their airport parking services. And Mm -hmm. in such cases, you need to establish that the relevant buying public affiliates that term or image with your particular company. And therefore, that term or image is truly functioning as a trademark. So as a signifier that uniquely identifies your product or service with you. Ultimately, that secondary meaning can come about in two ways. You can either do it by using the term or image exclusively or continuously for five years, in which case there is a legal presumption that secondary meaning has attached, or if you can muster enough evidence to convince a court that the term or image has become uniquely affiliated with you, then you can also have a chance of establishing the secondary meaning. Mm-hmm. So Park and Fly was able to do that, despite the fact that it really is simply describing the service. And was that based on their just length of using it, or how did they make that case? Really good question. What they did is they actually registered their mark, Park and Fly, with the USPTO, so the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. And they got what's called incontestable status from the USPTO, which basically means that the Patent and Trademark Office has said, you know what? we're going to go ahead and let you use this as your trademark, and we're not going to let other people legally challenge this. Um, So you're going to have the right to refuse to let other people use this particular phrase. You can protect it. Now, a lot of people were up in arms, a lot of different companies that were airport parking services, because they basically said, this is descriptive of what we're doing. We're providing parking services right by the airport, and they shouldn't be able to hog this term. 
Um, right. And, you know, personally, my I and my co-authors would, would agree with that. We think that there should have been a requirement that they prove secondary meaning had attached so that people saw Park and Fly as one particular company and not numerous companies out in the market. Um, however, this incontestable status basically dissolved that requirement. So interesting. Now, how did you become interested in this topic and, and get involved in this, this three-part series, which I should mention, this article is the second in a three-part series on trademark and trade dress written by Alexa and her co-authors. So yeah, how did it all start? You know, that's a good question. Naming is such a fascinating subject because every business has to come up with a trademark, basically its identity in the marketplace. And yet, I think most of us have so little training about the considerations that should go into coming up with a marker image that will become one's identity. Um, I think it's really important to be aware of the potential pitfalls that anyone should be thinking about from the very beginning. Um, on a more personal level, I was really lucky to have the godfather of trademark law, whose name is J. Thomas McCarthy, as my intellectual property teacher during my last year of law school. And he's just one of those men that is such an instinctual teacher that he can't help but captivate his students and make any subject seem like the most fascinating in the world. And because he was so excited about trademark law, he really did a great job of instilling in his students the importance of thinking about these trademark issues that tend to go right over someone's head when they're going through that creative process of coming up right. with a name and identity for themselves. Yeah. Well, in some cases, it's not something that they had any choice in the matter of. Um, in the article, you talk about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I actually had no idea that there was a second Kareem Abdul-Jabbar until reading this article. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that particular case? Sure. I think it's a great case. Um, so as you mentioned, there were two Kareem Abdul-Jabbars. One was an NBA Hall of Famer, and the mm -hmm. other was a running back for the Miami Dolphins. The only difference between their names is that they had a slight difference in the spelling. So what happened was the basketball player sued the football player to try to get him from, to stop using their similar name. He argued that it was going to be really confusing for consumers, which in this case, of course, are fans, particularly because they're both in the sports industry. So generally, under trademark law, you can't trademark names because the law doesn't think it's fair to stop someone else from using their own name in conjunction with their personal services or products. Mm -hmm. The exception, of course, is if one party using that name can demonstrate that secondary meaning has attached such that the consumer has really come to identify that name with one particular source. But even then, the courts are going to typically make the scope of that trademark very narrow so that it only applies within a particular, very narrowly defined industry. In the case of the two Kareem Abdul-Jabbars, they eventually settled their disagreement instead of going to court, with the mm -hmm. football player ultimately agreeing to only use the name Abdul on his football jersey and not the full Abdul-Jabbar, as long as he continued to play for the Dolphins. Eventually, he decided to just rearrange his name slightly to Abdul Kareem Al-Jabbar, probably to avoid any further headaches or any further confusion. But what a power struggle that must have been. I can't imagine giving up on my birth name. <laughs> Well, actually, in his case, he'd been born with the name Sharman Shaw, but had changed it later, which I think uh, is where the NBA Hall of Famer probably had some degree of leverage in trying to get uh, him to modify it somewhat. I see. Well, as I mentioned, this article was the second of a trilogy on trademark and trade dress law. Um, so, Alexa, maybe you could give us a little teaser for what's to come in the third and final article. That would be great. Um, so the third article, we're going to be talking a little bit more about the practical aspects of establishing secondary meaning if you ever need to do so. So for example, if someone starts using the terms or image that you use to identify your company as a form of trademark or trade dress, and those terms are potentially descriptive and therefore not automatically protected by law, 
the question becomes, how do you go about proving that those terms or images have acquired a secondary meaning, and you should be allowed under law to stop other people from using them? So I think it's a fascinating topic. I think it's one that's been very under-researched, and I think it's a good one just to keep in the back of your mind as you're coming up with a logo or image so you know mm -hmm. what to do in advance to protect your company and your potential trademark. Yes, definitely. Well, we look forward to reading that. Uh, and thank you so much for joining us. It's been great talking to you today, Alexa. Same, Audra. Thank you. I appreciate the chance to speak with you today. Yeah. And for you listeners out there, be sure to check out the full-length article, Secondary Meaning in Trademark and Trade Dress Law, What It Is and What You Need to Know, at gbr.pepperdine.edu. Thanks so much for tuning in to this podcast of the Grazia Dio Business Review.